Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Hi, hello everyone. Uh, this is Ray Borkman, and I am part of the grant making marketing team here at Blackboard. And uh, I want to welcome you today to a conversation uh, that we're having with one of our favorite thinkers in the philanthropy space. Heather Hiscox is on a mission to change the way we change the world. She is the founder and CEO of Pause for Change and creator of the Pause Method, a framework that helps change makers address difficult challenges and pursue promising opportunities. Heather also launched a book this year called No More Status Quo, a proven framework to change the way we change the world. And if that didn't keep her busy enough, she is also the co-creator and host of Possibility Project, an online uh, conversion series and growing community of disruptive change makers reclaiming their power through meaningful sparks, connections, and action. Uh, thank you, Heather, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, then let's jump uh, right into the questions here. So, you know, one of the things that I think gives you such a uh, deep perspective is the fact that you've both been on, you've been on both sides of the grantee experience, right? As both managing grant programs and applying for and managing grant dollars. So, could you maybe provide a quick introduction and talk about that experience a little bit? Sure, sure. I think it it definitely gives me some uh, special powers being on both sides of, you know, being the one that's like trying to get the grant out the door, literally putting the content together, trying to copy and paste it into the clunky online application that I'm forced to use, um, trying to call the funder and I can't get anyone on the phone, you know, reading the website eight times to make sure I'm really mirroring the way that they talk about their mission and vision and what they want to fund. I've been on that end. And then I've also been the one that has a pot of money that I'm trying to disseminate. So I've been acting as a regrantor actually for the last two years on a project. And I'm looking at the numbers and I'm the need exceeds what I have to give, right? I'm getting a lot of additional asks that I just can't fund and support. I'm hearing really, you know, stories that are really difficult to hear that I wish I could do more. So I think there's a great opportunity that I've had to live in both worlds. And I think when I meet um, grant makers that were at one time grant writers and that were on both sides have such an extra superpower as well of really having a deep empathetic connection an understanding of the perspectives on both sides. So I, I love that I've been able to do that and it's helped increase again, that understanding. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. You know, here, uh, a lot of the, the people that we work with um, uh, to sort of implement our solution, we try to find folks that have worked on both sides of that for, you know, some of the same reasons. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yes. So, you know, you've helped us uh, in the past with webinars and other content. Uh, blog posts and things like that. And you often talk about how, you know, we are all the designers of social change, even if we don't think of ourselves in that way, right? 
Can you talk about how foundations and grant makers re might relate to this idea of designers of social change? Yes, absolutely. It's something that I love to think about, um, you know, how each of us can create these changes, these ripples um, with with intention and the things that happen unintentionally as well. And so how I think about it is if we, even if we don't hold the titles, we are all designers and researchers, we're makers, we're creatives, um, we're leaders as well. And if you help create something from nothing, who you are gets infused into that work for better and for worse. Um, when we hold the role of creator and decision maker, we have power and our decisions create small and large impacts. And so we often leave, um, you know, the decision making to leaders. But I love Margaret Wheatley's definition of a leader is anyone willing to help anyone who sees something that needs to change and takes the first steps to influence that situation. So in that way, we are all designers of social change. And What's interesting about that, and I, I love my friend Michael O'Brien from, um, he's from Philly, from an organization called Human Nature. What he says is when we design, we are imagining the future for others. So we're imagining their access. We're imagining their reality and their experience for others. So you can only imagine that our positionality and how we see the world and the biases that we all hold based on how we see the world and the power that we hold based on those positionalities and biases can influence what we create on behalf of others. Like we could, we design for people. So in terms of foundations and grant makers, if they think, well, this is a really great online application platform, this will be fantastic. Well, that's based on their perspective, right? Getting back to perspectives of both sides, um, designing a new policy or changing the giving priorities or, you know, making other shifts in how they want to engage with their communities, nonprofits really can have big impacts and big effects and sometimes without knowing what those impacts could be. So, again, it's a really interesting opportunity for empathy and for connection and to really understand how you might be designing an experience within your community for those nonprofits that are applying for funds, how you're creating dynamics around potential competition and not quite collaboration with some of the community organizations you support. It's just, it's an opportunity to think differently about how you're engaging with those grantees. Yeah, that's great. I, I um, that, that kind of ties into, uh... Um, what I was going to move to uh, next, really, at, at Blackboard, I, I think you know, we've been spending a lot of time uh, on the grantee experience this year. It's part of uh, one of our upgrades with the solution. So we've spent a lot of time thinking about that and speaking to people about that. And, and as we make updates to our own grantee portal, we've talked to these clients and grantees and grant writers about ways to improve. Now, now, you get to be a part of our research <laughs> in your experience. <laughs> Great. Uh, what do you think is a, a key component of understanding and respecting the grantee experience? Yeah, I mean, I think I've said it so much with empathy, right? It's it's mm -hmm. start. I think it's you can start by filling out your own application, right? Like, why don't you try to fill that out? Look at what you are asking for. How might you be gatekeeping? 
where it's really difficult for a nonprofit, um, you know, grant writer to get a hold of anyone at the foundation. Some foundations I find are like intentionally secretive and really difficult to even like call or email anyone. They don't want that level of contact. So it's, it kind of sends a different signal out to communities. So I think that's really tricky. Um, and I think that it can be really confusing. A lot of these processes um, to really understand what's working and what's not. And we can't fix something unless we engage with our stakeholders to understand what they think is not working well, what they think is broken. So when we think about streamlining and optimization, who's really served by that? Is it streamlining optimization for the, the grant maker and the funder? Okay, but there's also a shared experience with the grant writer the nonprofit organization, the individuals that are responsible for packaging and putting together these applications. And, you know, Vu Lei has done a lot of work in this area. He has several articles that you can easily Google and find that talk about piece by piece how some of our existing grant application processes are deeply flawed um, for experience, but also for equity and access. And what some of the re recommendations have been for many years that nonprofits have been asking foundations to reconsider and adjust. And we saw a lot of those answers um, during COVID, right? A lot of foundations changed their funding mechanisms to make them really easy. They were allowing people to submit applications to other funders so they didn't have to submit again through another portal. They were streamlining the processes. They were doing their own more empathetic outreach and connection to understand what nonprofits needed most. And I've unfortunately seen some backpedaling and going back to you know 2019 standards where we're a little bit more disconnected. So I think it's really important that we keep that top of mind is who whose experience are we trying to optimize and streamline? And how can we do that if, if we're working in a silo or we're disconnected from those that we partner with? Yeah, I, I love that. I, I love that idea of like of you know go do taking the application yourself, right? That's so simple, and it should be so intuitive. But you know, uh, you know, it, you could really glean a lot, I think, from that. And and like I said, that's simple. But but some of the things uh, that we're talking about, you know, they could require significant shifts in processes for a grant making organization, right? Now, you regularly help social impact organizations sort of address changes, explore uh, what might be possible to achieve greater impact. So what is one of the biggest like missteps that organizations make when they're creating a new policy or process or program? Yeah, you know, I, I refer to it as status quo problem solving, and that's why the book is called No More Status Quo. Because traditionally what it looks like is an image that I call the giant triangle of waste where um, there's there's a problem, right? We know that there's an opportunity for change or there's something wrong. So there's a lot of hope, but also some fear at that stage. And we go into learning and research mode. Then we present the facts to a decision maker for them to make a decision about how we should move forward. And again, all of this is part of that bias and positionality. The leaders are making decisions based on their own experiences. They make a recommendation and then they assign responsibilities, timelines and accountability and expectations of all right team. We're doing this by this timeline. Um, these are the required deliverables. These are our expectations. Let's make this happen. And then there's some sort of like 
grand reveal. There's all this work in the background of making it perfect and getting it right. And then there's a ta-da moment where we reveal it to our stakeholders. And so I see a lot of organizations, funders included, saying, oh, we're going to streamline and revitalize this process or reimagine something. And they're doing all that background work which they feel really excited about and they feel so efficient and effective in how they're putting it together. But all that time, really the uncertainty is increasing. The investment of time and resources and energy are increasing, but we don't know what the stakeholder's response will be. So when we do that, ta-da, someone could say, that's awful. Like that new platform that you're using is so difficult to use or clunky or the character limits are, are wonky or there might even be a technical glitch or I don't understand what the wording is, or those questions are duplicative. And like, oh, there's so much frustration, right? So what I see organizations doing is they try to do this perfectionistic model where they want to take so much time getting it ready. But what we really need to do is we need to start, and this is part of the pause framework, identifying what we don't know. If we know something's not working or there's an opportunity to do something different, why? What are the uncertainties embedded in there? What are the signals that we're getting that we need to, we need to make change? And then what do our stakeholders want? How do we co-create and co-design what a new process or policy or program would look like with our stakeholders? And I'll give you a quick example. I was working with a workforce development organization. They were one of the largest organizations, nonprofits in one county, and they had about 40 organizations that relied on them for funding. They were essentially their own regranter through federal um, dissemination of, of awarded funds. And their monthly um, process that they used for invoicing was super clunky. It had not changed in 13 years. They knew they were causing trouble for their, their nonprofit partners, but they thought, well, we have other things we need to work on. We'll get back to it later. So when they finally started talking to their partners, they learned how awful and egregious the process was. And they said, all right, well, with your feedback, will you help us redesign it? And so their, their partners helped them redesign it, gave them great feedback, helped them test small little changes and cumulative changes that they all had agreed to and tried out. So they didn't go for this grand ta-da build-out program. They did it in little tiny chunks. And what they found is in just over a month, they had saved 800 hours of time wow. across those 40 different agencies that they then were able to use to serve their missions. They were able to create more impact in the community because they weren't laboring over this very confusing and time-intensive invoicing process. And so that, that larger organization that had taken on this change work thought, what else could we change? They kind of became addicted to the to the impact they were creating of maybe our annual review process is also clunky. Why don't we change that? What else could we do? What other feedback have they not been sharing because of the power dynamics that we could also really revitalize the work in the community? So I love small tests that are based on testing assumptions. What needs to be true? What might be going on? What uncertainties are there? And let's just tackle it early and together so we can create optimal impact. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That is like, uh, you know, a real sort of case study in ROI on, you know, time spent intentionally. That's really fantastic. So we, Heather, we've talked about uh, pause and you talked about it. You referenced it in, in your previous uh, uh, answer there. And so you've talked about the pause uh, skills and framework you've created, and, and I'm not going to ask you to reveal too much, but uh, how can people <laughs> learn a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. 
and, and I'll talk a little bit more about the PAUSE framework. It's an acronym. Each of the, you know, PAUSC all stands for kind of a call to action in changing from our status quo problem solving to, to new forms of addressing challenges and exploring new opportunities. And it really was built out of my own frustration, working in the sector in so many different roles, working in local government, working with nonprofits, working with foundations, just seeing how we were creating tremendous waste at scale with the best of intentions, with really intending to do great work, to really make a difference in our community, to really enhance and encourage collaboration, which is not really hitting the mark. We were, you know, designing programs that were in silos. We weren't seeing ourselves as a unified ecosystem. We weren't really understanding how needs were shifting and changing. But that's what I love about the pause framework and the pause skills is it's all about being more deeply connected to the challenge at hand, the stakeholders impacted, using our uncertainty as our superpower. So it's not the thing we have to fear and avoid. We just tackle it head on and say, all right, what do we not know and what do we need to learn and let's go work on it. And then how do we work collaboratively to explore an abundance of different options and potential solutions and test them in these little baby steps before we invest big. And I can tell you that about 50% of the projects that when I start working with clients that they think will be amazing, they think will work, about half of them never see the light of day because they actually didn't match the need. They didn't match what was the greatest um, challenge that the stakeholders were experiencing. And once they co-designed and co-created potential solutions, that's where the magic really unfolded and was revealed. And they were able to create amazing different outcomes. So that's what the pause framework is about. It's for any time you hit uncertainty, any time you're not sure if what you need to do to make things better, and you want to be most efficient and effective in finding those answers in a co-designed way, and using skills that you don't only just use now for this challenge, but that you embed into your work so that you're always stakeholder-centered, you're always testing those assumptions, and making decisions based on evidence. That's really a key piece we're not doing little pet projects or saying, well, I think this should work, or we're not copying and pasting best practices from other communities without that confidence that it will work with us. We're actually testing everything before we build so we can go slow to go fast and really optimize that impact. Excellent. Well, you know, Heather, I, I don't have any uncertainty. I'm sure uh, that this <laughs> is the, the right place to end this conversation. That's the right note to end the conversation on. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, and people can learn more about the book at nomorestatusquobook.com. Um, the book is full of really detailed step-by-step -step ways to use the pause skills. I wanted to make it accessible to anyone to start to use right away in their organization. And um, it has about 40 different case studies and examples for inspiration and illustration to really show any organization. Just like that example I shared, you too can make small changes to create massive impact in different ways than you imagine by using these new problem-solving skills. So definitely check it out. No more status quo. Awesome. We will do it. We will do it. Well, Heather, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. As always, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much. I love working with your team.